Greetings to all of God's friends. This is Mordecai Joseph, and we are now in Lesson 51. And in Chapter 3, we finished last time. Uh, let's recap here in Chapter 3 and Verse 1. They say, if a man divorces his wife, this is what God is saying, and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again. And the law that God gave Israel before that in Deuteronomy 24 is that she may not. She cannot return because otherwise, it says, the land is going to be polluted. And so it says, well, may, she, may he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet, return to me, says the Eternal. In other words, God said, in spite of the fact that you committed harlotry, I ask you to return to me. And God makes it very plain. He never gives up on that marriage, regardless, no matter what happened in between. So he says to her, lift up your eyes, verse 2, to the desolate heights and see where have you not lain with men. In other words, you've been messing around all this time. Uh, though you are married to me, you've been messing around. And by the road you have set for them like an Arabian in the wilderness. And you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld. Some people don't understand. They think, well, that's just a matter of nature. El Nino, whatever it may be, or La Nina. It doesn't happen that way. God is the one in charge of all these things, and with this nation in specific, with his own people, with his own wife. And verse 3, Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there have been no latter rain, and you have had a hollowed forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. And that's what God thinks about his own people. And yet, he never gives up on them. Verse 4, Will you not from this time cry to me, my father? In other words, I'm going to bring you back. And you're going to call me my father. And as I said earlier, that's an idiom for husband also, for a great one. Will you not call me my father? You are the guide of my youth. In other words, God is already prophesying that she's going to return back to him. Verse 5, Will he remain angry forever? That's what the wife is saying. Will he keep it to the end? Behold, he has spoken and done evil things as you are able. And then God speaks to Jeremiah, telling him. Verse 6, The Eternal said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. So speaking about the northern kingdom. Verse 7, And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. So even to Israel. That's why he sent them Elijah and Elisha and other prophets. He still wanted them back, even though they committed adultery. Even though they desecrated the marriage. Because Israel, the northern kingdom, was a part of the wife. And so God wanted them back. And he said, return to me in spite of all that you have done. So God, even then, never rejected them. And this is what he said to them. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. So see how, you know, you can see what God thinks about uh, both factions of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, which he compares to two sisters, daughters of one mother. And the one mother is the one that he married. Verse 8, Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her 
a certificate of divorce. Yet, her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So even though he, in essence, divorced Israel, but even then, that was for a temporary uh, period of time. So, you cannot take the analogy that uh, you have be between uh, men and women uh, all the way to the end here, because even though God gave a law to all men that you cannot take back a wife that you put away that you divorce, but as far as he was concerned, he said, in spite of that, I'm going to take you back, because a man cannot atone for the sins of his wife, but God can, and that's the difference. And verse 9, so it came to pass through her casual harlotries, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Speaking about Israel, verse 10, Yet, and yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Eternal. And yes, oftentimes Judah returned to God, and only on very few moments it was wholeheartedly, but generally speaking, it was not a real one. And it was never a true repentance all the way and to stay there. Because she kept going back and forth, back and forth all the time. Though she had many righteous kings that brought Judah back to God and to serve God. And yet, generally speaking, it was not wholehearted on the part of the whole nation. Maybe some individuals, but not the whole nation. And so, that's the way God saw it. So, she did it in pretense as far as he was concerned. Verse 11, Then the Eternal said to me, Backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. God always had the greatest condemnation on the house of Judah, on the southern kingdom, than on Israel. And that's because of qualities that are in Judah. Judah does everything all the way, wholeheartedly, passionately, without any restraints. And so if it is to righteousness, it is all the way and if it is to wickedness, it is all the way. And Israel seemed to be more reserved. And you can see it to this very day. That's the way these two factions are. And so he says, in spite of that, in verse 12, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, speaking about the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, Return backsliding Israel, says the Eternal, and I will not cause my anger to fall on you. For I am merciful, says the Eternal, and I will not remain angry forever. And this is where Israel was taken into captivity. Uh, back north, up north, there, into Assyria, and uh, cities of the Medes and all that. So God is giving them an opportunity, but obviously they did not respond uh, as they should have or as they could have. But some of them obviously did, because history tells us, as we read historic records, so the knowledge of the truth remained among the children of Israel, and people still kept the Sabbath and, and holidays and circumcised and uh, believed in many teachings of the Bible. So there must have been some kind of uh, response there. But obviously it was not at all response because they never came back to the land and never came back to God as a whole. And so we see, in spite of all these things, the attitude of God. He was not ever going to let them go, totally. He constantly dealt with them and finally came and gave up his life for them so that he may purify his church and his bride and 
That's exactly what he was saying and what he meant. And people who read the New Testament don't understand it when he said, I will build my church. Having no background of what went before that, they thought he was talking about a new one. He was not talking about a new one, he was talking about his wife. His church. He said, I'm going to build her. How? He's going to atone for her sins and then make the way for the Holy Spirit open for them to come in. As Peter said, this promise is for you and to your children, to your descendants. That's the church he was talking about. I will build my church. And some people who are totally ignorant of the whole story, when they should have known better, because they're in many other parts, they think, aha, he's talking about a new church. So now he had the concept, new church, old church. New covenant, old covenant. Totally different entities. That's not what God is talking about. And so... God never gave up on them. And so he tells them, verse 13. He makes it very plain throughout all the scriptures, all these prophecies, that regardless how evil they were, how bad they were, how angry he was with them, he was going to bring them back. And so when he said, I will build my church, obviously this is what he's talking about. Verse 13. Only acknowledge your iniquity. That's all he wanted them to do. That you have transgressed against the eternal your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Eternal. Verse 14, Return, O backsliding children, says to says the Eternal, for I am married to you. Even though he sent them away, he still tells them, you're still my wife. I will never give up on you. I am married to you. That's what he meant, I'm going to build my church, I'm going to bring back my wife. Never give up on that wife. He swore by his throne, by his name, that he will never will, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the prophets. And yet people make God a liar. Because they don't know the story, they're misinformed. Ignorant people. Unlearned, as Peter said, wrestling with the scriptures to their own destruction. So he says, return, O backsliding children, all of them, all the house of Israel, for I am married to you. God said that, not men. And I will take you, one from a city, and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So when did he ever reject them when he's married to them? Even though he died for them, he's still married to them, as far as he's concerned. In other words, he's got to bring them back. Atone for them, cleanse them, purge them, purify them, make them his people, put his spirit in them, write his laws in their heart, make a new covenant with them. It's going to be the real spiritual Israel, not somebody else pretending to be spiritual Israel, but the real Israel not becoming spiritual, having the Holy Spirit. That's what the spiritual Israel means. And then those olive branches grafted along with them, not replacing them. So he says, return a backsliding children, and God is going to bring them back to Zion. Verse 15, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart, and that's one of the major problems for the backsliding of Israel, the shepherds. And to this day, many of the shepherds lead them astray, thinking they are in the truth, walk in the truth, know God, love the Lord Jesus, and all that stuff. And so he said, I'm going to give you shepherds according to my heart, which means that the shepherds that generally Israel has to this very day are not according to his heart. So that's a condemnation against the shepherds of Israel. 
And he said, you know, I'll give you a shepherd according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding at lies, at deceptions, at mixture of truth and error, that make you believe that you are the people of God and lie to you when you're truly, yes, you are the people of God, but you are being deceived with lies and deceptions and you do not serve God in truth and in spirit, but they deceive you to believe that you are. And so they do it all around the earth. Verse 16, when that happens, then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increase in the land in those days, says the Eternal, that they will say no more the Ark of the Covenant of the Eternal. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made any more. For people are putting their trust in their own things. Verse 17, at that time, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, not Rome. Not any other city on the face of the earth. Jerusalem, the mother symbolically, of Israel. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the eternal. And all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the eternal, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north, where they are in captivity. When he brings them back to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. How plain can he be? How plain can the knowledge of the truth of who and what is the true church of God be? And yet how blind the people are in spite of that. Because they choose to be blind. The scriptures are there for all to read. But they read it and they choose to be blind. And so God is telling us very plainly what his intent for his people was, is, and will be. And it's not anything that is obscure that nobody can understand. A child can understand that. Verse 19, But I said, How can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the hosts of the nation? Of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father, speaking to his wife, and not turn away from me. Husband and father are synonymous in the biblical terminology. Verse 20, surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel. And yet he brings them back, because that's his church. His only church. There has never been a rejection. There has never been putting down Israel and picking up the church. Another entity, which is a product of the counterfeit church teachings. And people are still wallowing in that mire, thinking that they are in the truth. Verse 21, a voice was heard on the desolate heights, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel. For they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the eternal their God. And yet, look what he says in verse 22, Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal you, or heal your backslidings. That's why he came and gave his life for his church, so that he make her 
He can make her without spot and without blemishes. And people who don't know the story totally misinterpreted that to mean, well, here he's got a new group now, and that's what he's talking about. That's not what your Bible tells you, if you read the whole story. Only if you pick and choose what you want. Then you come up with whatever religion you want. But not when you listen to the words of God from the beginning until the end. And then they reply, indeed, we do come to you, for you are the eternal, our God. You are our husband, that is. You are our God. We are your people. We are your church. There is none else. Verse 23, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the eternal, our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth. Their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters, we lie down in our shame. And our reproach covers us. You see, God knows that this is what Israel is going to say because he's going to grant them repentance. So why would he ever give up on them when he's in absolute charge of the course of their history? It's very plain. And so this is what they say in verse 25. We lie down in our shame and our reproach covers us. For we have sinned against the eternal our God. We and our fathers from our youth, even to this day, from the days of Egypt, Israel is finally going to totally repent. Period. And God knew it. There was no reason to reject them. People who don't know God, who think they know God, come up with all kinds of lies to justify their own illegitimacy. And so this is what Israel says. We have sinned against the eternal our God, we and our fathers from our youth even to this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the eternal our God. And you go tell people that they are sinful, that they are in ignorance, that they are a mixture of truth and error. They think they are the people of God, and they'll hate you for it, speak evil of you, put you down, kill you if they can. And yet God says, this is why I never gave up on you. I know you're going to repent. Come back to me when I deal with you. And so in verse chapter 4 we read, If you will return, O Israel, says the Eternal, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. You're going to be married again. Only now with a new covenant. Where I'm going to put my spirit in you, write my laws in your heart, not like I did in Sinai. Because you had no faith, you were disobedient, stiff-necked rebels. It didn't work. And he knew that it's not going to work. And yet that's the course that he'd chosen. Because there was a purpose in it. Not because he made an oops or a mistake. Verse 2, and you shall swear the eternal lives. Yehovah, that's the name he used. He didn't use any other name that Jews have invented because they were not willing to know God and understand God and follow God and obey God. And so they're like the house of Israel who even became worse than the house of Israel which God himself made. And nobody can accuse God as being an anti-Semite. That's a cop-out. Every time, you know, they're being corrected. That's what they scream, anti-Semitic. 
comments. God made those statements. The prophets made these statements. All servants of God made these statements. And that's exactly what the apostles were doing. Just following the example of God and the prophets. And yet that's considered to be anti-Semitic manuscript by the Jews. Why? Because they have not reached that state of verse 25 to accept their guilt and their shame and their reproach and their sinfulness. And that goes for both houses of Israel, Judah and Israel. But they're going to reach this point where they're going to say, we lie down in our shame and our reproach covers us. What we have sinned against the eternal, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, we have rejected Him. And all of Israel had done, only the very few are genuine believers and, ob and obedient to God. And we have, we and our fathers from our youth, even to this day, not pretend to be righteous people when you are not from God's point of view. So we've sinned and have not obeyed the voice of the eternal our God. And that's exactly the statement that God wants to hear from every single Israelite. Every tribe. No more worshipping him in pretense. Lips are speaking the praises of God, but the heart is far away from him. And God is not interested in that. And so he says in chapter 4, well, it's, there is no chapter 4, just a continuation of a, of a discourse. You see what people have done with the scriptures? Confusing themselves and others? If you will return to Israel, says the Eternal, return to me. Really return, all the way. And if you will put away your abominations, which you call righteousness, that's what they continue in their own religion. They think it's righteousness. God says, no, it's an abomination to me. No wonder why so many plagues and pogroms and holocausts and inquisitions and evil things and wars and bloodshed and crime are rampant in the house of Israel. And so he says, if you do that, then you shall not be moved. Verse 2. And you shall swear the eternal lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, which is now they don't, and in him they shall glory. So many people hate what they think is waste, the waste, which is basically made of the children of Israel, both in Europe and in the Americas, North America basically, not South America, and uh, but it's Canada and the United States, New Zealand, Australia. There's a lot of hatred against the West. On the other hand, there's also a lot of love because they want many of the things of the West. So it's a love-hate relationship. But now he says the nations, the Gentiles. So you see he's contrasting the nations, the Gentiles, and Israel, and not the same. There's no Gentile church. There's Israel, there are the Gentiles, and Israel, and anybody who wants to go to God He's going to have to go through Israel. Because it is through Israel that God is going to do his work with Israel as a mother. That's why. Just like we come directly on, a, on an individual basis to the Father through Christ, we have to come to Christ through Israel. And that's the way God made it. The nation shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Eternal to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns, 
circumcise yourselves to the eternal and take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, because Jeremiah is specific, he's talking to his people now, Let, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of your evil, the evil of your doings, and this is what Judah had to endure for the past 2,500 years. But they did not recognize the source of their punishment because they were not willing to acknowledge their guilt. And they blamed anybody else but themselves. And God is not a respecter of persons. And he's going to punish his own people for their iniquity. He's going to punish anyone for their own iniquity. And yet, in spite of all that, his love toward Israel never ceased. He, can't, he kept, you know, his faithfulness and loyalty to his married wife. He was just going to rebuild her. Build her with the Holy Spirit now, with the faith that is going to put in her, with granting repentance, with the writing of the law. And people who don't read the whole book from the beginning until the end, but divide it to their own destruction and for their own excuses and to justify their own ignorance, and deception, they totally get confused. They're called the unlearned. And so, let's always study everything from the point of view of God. And that's the only way you're going to understand the whole process. Let's go to chapter 12. There's an awful lot to read in between. So many points to be made. But they're all basically the same. I'll tell you the story. A very simple story, and it's not what people have told us in the past 2,000 years in specific. And it's not what either Judah or Israel deceive themselves to believe and lie to themselves because the false prophets and shepherds continue to be with them and to teach them lies. Let's go to chapter 12. And God is telling us again through the prophet. Verse 14, chapter 12. Thus is the eternal, against all my evil neighbors who touch the inheritance which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck out the house of Judah from among them. And he's talking about the time when he's going to allow Judah for the last time to fall into the hands of the enemies all around them. The nations that surround Israel, Arab nations, all around, who are going to be given the victory one last time against Israel. Not that they had many victories so far, but they caused an awful lot of damage. And yet God is warning them, so that's a personal warning to all the Arab neighbors of Israel, and specifically speaking about his people Judah here. It's a warning recorded 2,500 years ago. And thus we have ear among them. You know, some of them call themselves Christians. Of course, they don't care much about this prophecy or anything else as far as that is concerned. Because there are two members of the churches of Revelation 17. And yet that warning is there. And it's going to be read to them. And they're going to hear it. And those of them who fear God will repent. And the majority would not. And this is what's going to happen to them. God is going to pluck them out of their own land and is going to bring the house of Judah from their midst. Verse 15, Then it shall be after I have plucked them out 
that I will return and have compassion on them. In other words, on the house of Judah, after he sent them into captivity, he's going to have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his inheritance and everyone to his land. And it's not the land of Palestine, as some even in our own midst are calling it to this very moment. Having no shame, no respect, no fear and reverence of God in his land and his people but leading to their own deceptions and lies. And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people. And so God is telling uh, the nations around Israel, the ones that he's going to punish and pluck them out of their own land, as they did their own, his own people, that he's going to have compassion on them too. Because God loves all of human beings, all his children. That's the reason it says, God so loved the world, everyone. And he does not want any of them to perish, so he gave the life of his own son, the creator of all mankind. And people uh, like that scripture and like it so very much, and they like to read it and quote it and all that. But they don't care much about the people of God, in contrast. And so God says, and it shall come to pass in verse 16, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people, the ways, the religion. See, it's not Judaism and Christianity anymore. The ways of my people are the ways of God. That's the name of the religion of God. People give it names because it becomes a human religion. That's why. Mixture of truth and error. But as for the nations, instead of learning the false religion that came out of Israel, that Israel is involved in, or was a part of, so he says, you know, they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the eternal leaves, as the whole leaves, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they led them astray into other religions, and yet that's the fault of Israel too, and Judah. They followed in that. Israel picked up idolatry and remained in it, and then mixture of uh, the truth and error later on, which is, became known, named, you know, called as uh, Christianity. And Judah picked up a lot of teachings from Babylon, mystery religion, and lies and deceptions and mix it up with the religion of God and became Judaism. It's no more the way of God. And so God said, As I taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. That means they're going to be back in their land. Verse 17, But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Eternal. So God makes it very plain. He is not a respecter of persons. If his people misbehave, he would punish them. If the nations misbehave, he would punish them. And we have to see it from God's point of view. So let's go to chapter 16 now. And uh, verse 14, what God says again, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, that it shall no more be saved the Eternal leaves who brought us, that is, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Eternal leaves who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land which I, have gave, which I gave to their fathers. So at what point did he ever reject them? When 2,500 years ago, he already told them he's going to bring them back and they knew it. People in the Jewish community knew it all along, all this time. So then they understood it. God never rejected them. 
They knew that they need salvation and redemption. And that others were lying to them all the time, trying to convince them that God rejected them, that they are all going to hell. Verse 16. And ironically, even the children of Israel, who became a part of the false religion called Christianity, they were trying to, to lie to, to the people of God and try to get them to be converted to their brand of Babylon, Babylonish religion, claiming that this was the true religion of God. And they were lying to them that God rejected you unless you come to us. Verse 16, Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Eternal, and they shall fish them, and afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways, not my ways, their ways. So he's going back and forth. You know, he's angry with them. He has compassion on them. He brings them back and he has mercy on them. And then he, he still talks to them, but, you know, and, uh, and, and that is, he rebukes them about their evil deeds. And that's the story that you read from the beginning until the end, between God and his people, God and his church, the husband and his wife. And so he says, I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. And yet God is never forsaking his people. Verse 19, O eternal, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the nations, that is the Gentiles, shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies. So now that God brings back his people, the nations are going to know the ways of Israel and will know that their ways are evil and wrong and all lies. And so now the nations are going to repent also and come to God and will come to the city of Jerusalem and will be taught by the children of Jerusalem who are members of all the tribes of Israel the ways of God. And so they will come too. And they're going to repent. And they will say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. And that goes for all the religions of this earth. Verse 20. Will a man, God, will a man make gods for himself, which are not gods? So they are going to acknowledge that they've been taught lies. And they would repent and they too will become the people of God, but they are not going to be the wife of God, they are going to be the children of that marriage between God and his wife, Israel. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is Jehovah, the Lord. But it's not the Lord. Jehovah does not mean the Lord, the Eternal. And so the story is very plain. God will bring back his people, Israel, to himself. God is going to bring all the nations also to himself. And so it doesn't make sense at all that they would even come up with this lie and deception, which is a height of hypocrisy and bigotry, to say that God had chosen them and he rejected his own people. And let's go to chapter 23. And there we read more about what God says about his own church. And here, he's specifically talking against the shepherds who have deceived his people. 
Chapter 23 and verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. I think it is there. Some people say, well, this is my church. And the audacity to say that. My church. What do you mean my church? Like merchandise of the people of God. Live at their expense. Step all over them. Call them lame members. Walk all over them. But God says, no, they are my pasture. It's my church. The sheep of my pasture, says the Eternal. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the Eternal God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people. Oh, yeah, they feed them. But what would they feed them? A mixture of truth and error, oftentimes. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. That's the reason why the children of Israel have been in Babylon all this time. And behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Eternal. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And he's speaking about the whole house of Israel. And bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, not feed themselves. Shepherds who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Nor shall they be lacking, says the Eternal, because many of them are today. Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And he's speaking about the one that became the Redeemer of Israel. This is the Father speaking here. Verse 6, In his days, Judah will be saved. Not go to the lake of fire, go to hell, will be saved. And when he came, he offered them salvation. But since they rejected him even at that time, as a nation, though many followed him, and that's because of the leaders that they had, the shepherds that they had, that deceived them. Had it not been for those shepherds, all of Judah would have followed the Redeemer. But, because of that, he put them again on the shelf. Okay, he said. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. But he made it very plain. They are going to be there. Just a matter of time. So in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name, by which he will be called. The Eternal, or the Yehovah, our righteousness. In Hebrew, Yehovah Tzidkenu. That's his name. Not any name, other name that the people of Judah have given him. That's his name, he said, and they're not willing to pronounce that name. And obviously, because people have been abusing the name and swearing in, in vain. And so they thought, well, they'll be safe. Just let them, uh, let, let's prohibit them from ever even using the name. In the process, it became a matter of religion. And that became a blasphemy if you pronounce that name. And that's contrary to the will of God. God says, you can use my name, swear by my name, Yehovah, that's my name, just don't do it in vain. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, says Yehovah, that they shall no longer say, as Yehovah lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Eternal lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country, speaking about the whole nation, and from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own 
land. And so the message is very plain. Again and again and again and again the same. This is the church of God. How many times God has to tell us that before we believe it? But when people say, well, I don't want to hear about the Old Testament. Just give me the New Testament. All they're saying is, I want to hear only about lies and deceptions. That's what they really mean by that. I want to continue in my faith. Don't confuse me with the facts. And God says people who feel like that are rebellious. They hate the law of God, the Torah of God. They will not hear. So he says, okay, you go your own way. Believe your own lies. But when the time comes, you're going to have to acknowledge it. As we read earlier, that we and our fathers have sinned and disobeyed you and walked in our own path and commandments and not yours. Our ways, not yours. And so repentance, nevertheless, in spite of that, in spite of us, is coming to all. And let's go now to Jeremiah chapter 30, where we begin to read good prophecies about Israel that begin, unfortunately, first with the coming calamity that is coming, the greatest holocaust, tribulation, any conceivable word that you can use that would engulf the whole earth and begin with the house of Israel and bring horrible punishment upon them to bring them to their senses. And so in chapter 30 and verse 1, we read the word that came to Jeremiah from the Eternal, saying, Thus speaks the Eternal, the God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. Verse 3, For behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, that I will bring back the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, says the Eternal, and I will cause them to return to the land that I have, that I gave to their fathers, the land of Israel, their fathers were people of Israel, their fathers were not Palestinians or Canaanites, and they shall possess it. Verse 4, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke, the Eternal spoke concerning Israel and Judah. So now before that, he's going to speak about the punishment. So first he's giving them comfort, so they can see the end of the road, and not give up. And then he's going to tell them what's going to happen in between, because they're still in their sin, in their false religions, clinging to their own lies. Verse 5, For thus is the Eternal, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. You see, a woman is, but not a man. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, verse 7, for that is, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be the worst punishment ever that came upon the house of Israel. And if you think the Holocaust was the most horrible thing that ever happened, it's only a prelude to the worst Holocaust that is still coming upon the house of Israel because after the Holocaust, instead of learning lessons, they went back to their own ways and have done even worse after that. And so this is the last one. Yet, the bottom line is the silver lining, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, but he shall be saved out of it. Even if he's dead, so to speak, even if many die from it, God is going to resurrect them. Verse 8, for it shall come to pass that in that day, says the eternal of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds 
and foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the eternal their God, and David their king. See, the Jews today don't even believe in the resurrection, as they should. I think everybody went, went up to heaven. Oh, God says he's going to raise David from the grave, and he's going to be the king. And they say, well, it's not David, it's somebody from his seed. They, they totally lost it in many ways. They don't even believe what they read. It is David that God is speaking about, the person that lived 3,000 years ago. And David, their king, whom I will raise up for them from the dead, from the grave. Not from heaven. Nobody's in heaven. Understand. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Eternal, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Because this is where they are going to be. Jacob shall return and have rest and be quiet. And no one shall make him afraid, for I am with you, says the Eternal, to save you. This is Jesus Christ speaking, the Eternal, the Redeemer of Israel, the God of Israel. That's his church, that's his people. He's none other but that one, except the false one that pretends to be the right, the true one. And then you believe the lies of the, the false one. And so he said, though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. Nevertheless, God is going to bring them back to himself. And he's not going to cast them away. And they're going to be his people in spite of all their problems. And he will never give up on them. And he will never forsaken, forsake them. And he will never reject them. They will always be his people. That's his church. That's the reason for it. That's his bride. And through Israel, as he meant from the beginning, he's going to bring many sons unto glory. The rest of the nations of Israel who will be, uh, the nations of the earth who will become the son, the children of Israel of that marriage between the bride and the bridegroom. And that's what the whole book is all about from Genesis to Revelation. And so at this point, we're going to stop now and we'll continue next time with this chapter. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.